Hello everyone and welcome to the latest edition of the Cold Chain Podcast. It is very much the strangest of times right now, uh, but I hope everyone out there is keeping safe. Um, we've had some great feedback on our last edition of the podcast with Ruth Edwards from Talent and Logistics. Thank you very much uh, for those of you that have listened to that one. Um, make sure you subscribe to the Cold Chain Podcast via whatever your favourite podcast uh platform is whether it's apple or spotify or any other or just listen to it straight from our website we're looking to ramp up our output a bit over the coming coming weeks um partly because some of some people out there will be um, unfortunately um, having a bit less to do than they they would normally have but also we really want to make sure that we're focusing on the big picture in the future because we've got some real challenges happening right now everyone has across the across the economy particularly in the cold chain but we will have the future is, is will be with us soon. We will get through this soon. And I really want to make sure that we're all thinking about how we're going to take our businesses forward and how we're going to take ourselves and our own uh, development forward in the in this time, um, as well as as well as dealing with the everyday. So, with that in mind, I'm really delighted to be able to uh, introduce my my latest guest, Gavin Parnell from the Supply Chain Consulting Group. Hello, Gavin. Hi, Shane. Yeah, thanks very much for joining us today. Now, Gavin and I actually happen to live in the same town, um, so we're not actually that far apart, but obviously we are communicating over internet, um, both from our, uh, our probably impromptu home offices. Well, certainly mine is impromptu anyway. Um, Supply Chain Consulting Group is a great uh, example of a business that is there to help uh, businesses across FMCG and across uh, uh, cold chain with taking a step back, thinking about change, thinking about how they can do things differently to make it to make a make a difference to to their operations um, they're also an organization that is massively invested in supporting the success of the industry overall a big supporter of ours is the cold chain federation and of a range of other uh, logistics uh, networking and uh, knowledge sharing sharing businesses um, so i'm really really delighted and i think gavin's a great person to talk to right now uh, about not only the current situation but how we come out of this and what the future looks like so gavin can i ask you to say a few just a bit about, about yourself and about supply chain consulting group yeah i mean uh, i i've been working in logistics since uh, all, all my career really started in 95 96 it was pretty accidental uh, which is probably quite uh, quite a common way into the industry um yeah came out of university um fairly clueless uh got a i got a job uh, originally in a, a produce factory um as a production administrator um and became involved in the logistics side of that um and that was the first time i encountered um the cold chain i suppose and you know um as anything other than a consumer uh and that was around 95 um i then went and started working for a third party logistics company in 96 um, and a mixture of operational and kind of business development analytical type work uh, all that sort of stuff um, and then uh, in having sort of fallen into it I suppose I was once I was sort of committed after seven or eight years um, I decided to uh, try and give my career a bit of a boost and I went to Cranfield University and um, did the MSc that they do there in management which I would recommend to anybody. Um, it's really a really good grounding and a, a way of sort of broadening your, 
your horizons uh, away from this sort of immediate um, sort of cold face of operations. Um, and then from there, I moved into consultancy. So 2004, I've been working in consultancy. Um, yeah, SCCG, Supply Chain Consulting Group. I mean, we work with uh, really retailers, FMCG suppliers, uh, chilled and ambient, obviously, um, and really anybody who's got physical distribution needs and either operates uh, their own warehousing and distribution or outsources it. And we can help in lots of different ways, which can be from helping them to plan that at a strategic level. So what does a network look like? Um, what facilities should they have? How big should they be? What technologies should they use? Um, and then into a much more tactical and execution level of um, perhaps uh, modeling transport fleet, um, helping with to helping with that and uh, with the uh, routing and scheduling of transport. Um, also, warehouse design is a massive part of what we do. So, just operational design of warehouses, improving existing warehouses, trying to get them working much more efficiently, um, is a major part of what we do as well. So, everything from the strategic down right down into the into the tactical, really, more day to day help. Yeah, fact. One thing I can say is I can really um, vouch for uh, the sort of feedback that you get from within our membership and, and the business that I know that your clients who sort of really talk about the practical help that they that, that, and the op and direct change they implement as a result of working with with yourselves. I guess one of the most um, rewarding things I would imagine for you, and it's probably a bit like for me as well, is the chance to see inside a number of different businesses operating um, at the same time and um, really getting a bit of a kind of overview of the culture and approach to commonalities and differences between different types of business. I mean, how do you sort of, how do you sort of manage that in your sort of day-to-day, -day, Gavin? Uh, well, you're right. That's one of the most interesting aspects of the job. I mean, I've always sort of enjoyed working logistics and the operational problem solving part of it and the t sort of teamwork aspect and all that and then once you get into consultancy you're able to uh, take that to another level really if you're meeting people constantly um, who are running logistics operations and uh, uh, you know people who are responsible for logistics operations and people in supervisory management and so on and there's some great people out there and actually yeah it's fascinating just seeing all the different operations how they work getting behind the scenes um my kids always sort of take the mickey out of me about because whenever we sort of see any company or food you know maybe we see a lorry or we buy some different food in the supermarket or something you know oh yes i was in their warehouse last month or last week you know my family get annoyed with me with doing the members thing on the on the m1 Whenever I'm driving on the M1 or the M4 or wherever, it's kind of well, they're members, they're members. I'm like, we really don't care. Um, but you yeah, know, nobody it, cares. It but you know, behind the scenes, <laughs> how all this stuff happens is actually it is interesting. Do you get when you walk into a business? Do you sort of know what good good looks like as soon as you get in there? Do you sort of have a feel for it for walking in the door almost? That you know, these guys have. It might not be that there's an obvious thing that, that, that there is a way of doing things right, but you kind of know it when you see it. Is that kind of how it is, or is it a bit more complicated than that? Yeah, so, I mean, what we're trying to do, yeah, it works at different levels. So, I mean, what we're trying to do is, usually what we're trying to do is help companies to 
uh, to analyze the, to, to put their decisions. Let's say they're going to make decisions. It's all about making decisions. Um, you make good decisions, you do well. How do you make good decisions? You make good decisions based on evidence, analysis, hopefully. Um, sometimes it's gut feeling, of course, as well. That comes into it and that can be important. But what we're doing is providing the analysis and the a little putting a little bit of science behind decisions that are being made in companies hopefully and so that part of it you can get companies that on the face of it are very well run and very sophisticated um oh they are very well run and very sophisticated but they will still benefit from having uh, a structured and they will recognize that generally those sort of businesses will recognize that they will do well from having a, a structured analytical approach to decision making and that's what we can help them with because there's not generally speaking there's some exceptions but it's not usually worth while carrying uh, a lot of resource internally in companies to uh, to have that capability and also of course consultants in external view and benchmarking and so on as well so all of that's that's that side of it on the other end of it sometimes you walk in a warehouse yeah and you of course if you walk into warehouses you can kind of get a feel for whether they're well run or not and that's probably obvious to a lot of people um you know because it's it is reflected in a, a, a lot of the time like a really well-run warehouse will feel like there isn't that much going on and then when you look at the numbers you realize there's a heck of a lot going on um it just has a calm feel to it and the housekeeping's good and you know everything's everything's as it should be um and of course sometimes you walk into warehouses and they're not like that and the housekeeping's poor and uh you know and you, you know it's a bit chaotic uh, and you and usually there's a feel of a lot of activity and chaos going on in those in those sort of places so yeah of course you get a feel for it yeah thanks it's interesting your point about making decisions based on science it's probably this is a time given the situation we're in right now with the covid19 uh crisis where we're all pouring over science none of us are scientific experts but we're all pouring over the charts that are coming out in the media and the daily briefings from number 10 and whatever else so it kind of feels like a, a, a particular uh, particularly interesting time in terms of our kind of collective valuing of data and, and, and whatever else in that context mm. i'm mangling my segue but my point is um thinking about covid19 and what we've observed in the past sort of month really it is now in terms of supply chain responding to what is a completely unprecedented situation how do you think we were geared up in particularly kind of fmcg food and cold chain logistics to be ready for what we've what we've experienced and how do you think looking at it from the outside we've coped with it mm. yeah interesting i mean how geared up can you be um yeah it's, it's really interesting i mean these are sort of this is your sort of black swan event isn't it you know um and uh i think yeah i mean to be fair to companies a lot of companies especially you know some of the bigger ones but you know it's not all to do with scale but a lot of companies are good at pretty good at risk management um they will have had they will have done that sort of horizon scanning and be aware that these sort of things are possible but really when it comes down to it you're not going to hold a lot of extra resources in reserve um just in case there's a global pandemic or something um yeah i think the sort of first phase which was you know we're absolutely you know demand levels outstripping anything we've ever seen before and yeah. having to sort of run to keep up with that i think that's probably a good problem to have in a way because that's where problem solving logistics people can really come into their own i guess the challenge we have for the next period and who knows how long it is we're now currently sort of 
early April right now when we're recording this. So it, this could be we could be looking at another nine, twelve weeks of this sort of, of 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 this sort of weird sort of alternative pattern. And is how do they cope with the holding out of networks as you know the decision to either yeah, to exactly. furlough and hibernate parts of the network which bits do you choose how do you how do you demand respond in that context and it, if there's role for collaboration at that point i don't know what do you think about about what about that side of things yeah people need to be talking to each other i mean i i would say there's a there's obviously a role for trade bodies i would probably argue there's a role for consultants as well potentially because um you know, we can confidentially handle data, match things up, uh, and so on. Look, look for opportunities and stuff like that. And as, a, as an honest uh, broker, who's who's sort of used to uh, who's used to analysing logistics data, has the software and, uh, and capability to do it. You know, so uh, I'm sure that applies to other, you know, others as well. But that's um, yeah, that uh, that's possible well for for us and for the trade bodies isn't it and yeah people need to be talking to each other but it's a but yes inherently there's going to be problems with underutilized resources as well as overutilized ones and they, there's no perfect way of, um, of sort of smoothing that out and that's going to be i think part of it's then at the end coming out of it because there's a real culture of head down serve the customer get the job done and we're almost worry about the sort of uh, financial implications and things later um because that's that's kind of how uh, logistics people are they always um they always want to do a good job and deliver the customer satisfied um and sometimes that's almost at any cost and i think coming out of this will be people who um you know who uh who've sort of suffered financially companies that have suffered financially who will have Provide an essential service. How are we going to defend those companies and help them to uh, recover as well, which is really important. So that that to me really sticks out to me. You know, those 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 that do the job now. There's a lot of record, a lot of commendation going towards the people that are making this keep the supply chain going in this difficult period, etc. And lots of really good warm words, and you know, I really welcome all of that when we see it my job and everyone's job after this is to make sure people remember that and they do support the businesses that did pull through this and i guess there is a bit of a worry that those where there are businesses that collapse and assets that, be, that come available and there's bankruptcies and the like that those businesses then don't just power up debt free and be able to cut the market and uh, in a way that actually undermines those that did the right thing during this time and actually stayed stayed trading i think that's a I'm not sure there's a bit lots of solutions to that problem, but it's one that we'll definitely be fo focusing on as a federation as we uh, come out the other side. There will um, be some injustices without that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, um, thinking on a, moving on then to talk about the uh, sort of the world after COVID nineteen or the world as it was before this sort of interruption. Um, what do you think are the kind of key challenges that are shaping the way fmcg businesses are looking at their supply chains in the current marketplace um i think routes routes to market is key so um who's gonna who, who's gonna emerge and i think it's quite interesting how it does still it does still link back to the COVID nineteen as well because you know can we pick up? I mean, we're doing strategy projects for um, 
uh, FMCG uh, suppliers, major suppliers, some of the biggest suppliers in the market for supplying supermarkets and so on. And we're also doing uh, strategy projects for the supermarkets themselves. Uh, a couple of those have got a couple of big ones in each area there, which are pretty much on hold at the moment as change projects have generally been put on hold. But uh, it'll be interesting when they come off hold, are we coming back to, uh, because the usual approach would be look at historical data and then try and project forward based on that, you know, which would be based on growth and then any sort of known changes. But I wonder whether there'll be any lasting changes coming out of this um, because people are, are all behaving differently. So, uh, um, you know, they're, they're ordering from places that they wouldn't have ordered from before. <clears throat> Might they carry on ordering from some of those places in the future? So is that going to change with yeah, that, that really stands out to me as an issue, isn't it? Because, you know, so 7% of grocery deliveries were online. So food purchased via grocery was via online in you know, last year. You know, the, 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 the demand for online grocery delivery has been the kind of dominant thing in the kind of changing consumer patterns. How many people will establish that habit and actually genuinely accelerate that shift into more online delivery? And I guess what does that mean for the fulfillment challenge? I mean... From my, I guess the the ongoing problem, and I'm probably one that you look at more than I'm sure a lot, is the issue of how do you meet meet the, the demands for efficiency from a logistics point of view in terms of supply chain management across food, mm. with the kind of fragmentation of ways for the consumer to get hold of that product and grow these kind of tentacles of online delivery routes into into people's homes. I mean, how do, how do people square that circle? Yeah, I mean, I I actually believe that all of these routes to market can be efficient. Um, it, it, I think they can be efficient and sustainable. It's a question of who's who's doing what and who's taking on the cost. Um, so, you know, for example, home home delivery is not necessarily um, uh, maybe challenged on this, <laughs> um, but it's uh, I don't think it's necessarily uh, this sustainable or um, or more costly um, in the end but it's looking at the cost as a true end-to-end -end cost isn't it because if you if, if I drive in my car to uh, uh, to a shop or uh, to, you know and, and do my shopping then I've got the environmental cost of me driving there in my car and the time cost of me driving there in my car take into account actually somebody's doing home deliveries um, they're, they're going along the road um, you know with a good a good drop density uh, and that's saved all those car journeys, hasn't it? So from an environmental perspective, um, it's probably not, um, you know, it probably can be sustainable and efficient. And I think there's going to have to be more collaboration. There's going to have to be more things like um, consolidation, urban consolidation centres and this type of stuff. But, you know, people have been talking about it for years and years. But there hasn't been that much of it necessarily actually happening i guess because the, the business model for it is so hard to work out the kind of the kind of sort of academic and environmental kind of logic of it is pretty convincing the way in which you create a business model where people actually genuinely run a profitable business out of it, it's probably the 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 harder it's collaboration the harder, versus competition isn't it and it's whether, yeah. whether these some of this stuff can shift the balance a bit um <laughs> usually it's shifted by uh, regulations and things like legislative stuff, isn't it? That uh, changes the ultimately changes the finance. I guess one of the things that has dominated 
the cold chain federation in our relatively short life i mean we're even we're younger than the supply chain consulting group in our current current guys is the whole issue of how you operate a sustainable supply chain as the same time as operating a profitable one and um i guess the members have been so used to the kind of cutthroat competition that comes with being a service provider to the big retailers and the major manufacturers that they've pretty much focused on how can they be as cost efficient as possible in how they operate but actually the challenge they're now being presented with is one of how can they both be cost efficient but also sustainable and do you think that um that is a something that can be achieved successfully are there examples that you've seen work work with or uh, where you've seen that being that's um, that being being achieved well normally i mean I, I i've never really understood where there was a i'm not sure where the conflict is between sustainability and co- i think that probably it's to do with the structure of um of the industry isn't it as you say it's to do with to do with competition and everybody playing the cards close to the chest um because it fundamentally if you cost is about cost is about resource usage isn't it you know if you use um if you're trying to achieve something you use a certain amount of resources to do it be that vehicles drivers fuel um warehouse space uh, energy time whatever um all those things have a cost um the the, the less of those things you use <laughs> to achieve a particular aim then uh, then the lower the cost will be and um also the more sustainable it's likely to be. So there's no conflict fundamentally. So where is so everything we do is about making distribution networks more efficient, making warehouses more efficient, transport operations more efficient and achieving the same thing with fewer miles, less space, uh, less energy use. <laughs> so there's no fundamental conflict. So where is the conflict coming from? I think it's because so it's probably imperfect information. So if I knew you had an empty vehicle running from A to B and that I had a load to go from A to B and if I had some way of, <coughs> excuse me, if I had some way of, if I had some way of uh, getting from, uh, you know, of, of us having perfect knowledge in the market, then that would improve efficiency and sustainability at the same time. Um, so collaboration, information platforms and so on. Of course, it's the same thing that's been talked about for years and years. Um, it's been done with varying levels of effectiveness. Probably the technology is better than ever, and there are more opportunities for it. Perhaps things like this crisis will push it a little bit more as well. Um, make people think more about collaboration as a, you know, if it works on a number of levels, doesn't it? Cost, sustainability, but also robustness, resilience um, to, uh, you know, to unusual situations and, and that kind of stuff. So I think there's a whole, there's a whole load of things that are all linked there, really. Yeah, I think it's really interesting, isn't it? And how you, how you get how you get to that point that you say we haven't got there yet is: do you get there vertically by the by the end user basically forcing it to happen within their supply chain and taking more kind of having more control over that supply chain, or can it be achieved in some way horizontally? We've probably failed quite miserably. Uh, it also interacts uh, with your pre- you know, that interacts with your previous uh, discussion as well. You can achieve it if you've got uh, if you say it's the big four or five, whatever it is, uh, grocers who are controlling everything, then to a certain extent, yeah, they can they can impose a certain amount of, of uh, efficiency and sustainability at the same time on the market by, you know, for example, just initiatives like uh, factory gate pricing or back or um, you know, 
prime or whatever you want to call it um and those that the more you've got you know then you've got obviously the german discounters coming in other um you know uh, more online all kinds of different ways that people are getting food actually because you've got things uh you've got some of these uh we've done a project with one of them and uh you know companies that do like meal prep and that kind of thing so people are getting their food from uh uh, you know, somebody who's who's sort of packaging up uh, meals or the ingredients for meals for them and sending them a week's worth at a time, you know. Mm. Something yeah. different again, you know. So there's so many different ways of people getting food. So like to say, it's potentially more fragmented. Um, mm. Makes it more difficult for the big few to impose a certain way of working. Way of working. So who knows? <laughs> That's yeah. Good answer. yeah. Well, no. Well, I think who knows is is ultimately, is ultimately the uh, the reality, and that's why um, we're not paid the big bucks to actually run these companies and make these strategic calls. Um, the um, I guess my sort of final kind of group question is really about understanding how for businesses out there that are sort of either you regularly using consultants but not necessarily sort of getting what they need out of consultancy support or businesses that don't really use consultancy or are suspicious of it what would you sort of say are the main characteristics of a good consultant project or a good consultant client relationship that actually generates results that the business sees tangible value from yeah i mean a good relationship is it hopefully one way people aren't suspicious of each other for start. um mm. so yeah i mean if you can get uh, and yeah if you can get if you can get off to, to a good start get on the right foot um i think the companies who use consultants well and they tend to use them again and again but just that they recognize the they recognize the skills and the strength that the consultant has and that that's different to what they have within their own business usually sometimes it's a resource thing so it can be um it can be that we could do this ourselves but actually we can't do it ourselves right now so we're going to bring you guys in to do it but i think more commonly it's because companies don't carry that type of resource so um if you're uh, looking to do something that requires a very structured approach evidence-based data gathering modeling different options um and then evaluating those different options and deciding how to go forward um thinking about obviously capital costs operating costs all of the knock-on effects of a decision you might be looking to make for example it could be opening a new warehouse or it could be or it could be something more tactical like um, changes to the profile of a fleet or something like that um it's pretty unlikely you're going to have that uh capability internally to do that because you know, you wouldn't carry it a lot. These are once in five year decisions, once in three year decisions. Some of them are a bit more ongoing, but you know, normally it's 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 often associated with these sort of step changes that occur as a business grows, or as other changes occur, like M and A, or um, uh, you know, a new perhaps um, diversification of range or anything like that that just causes leads to change, um, rapid growth, be another thing. Um, so it's usually where there's growth or complexity. Or something. Yeah. One, one question I was going to ask was about this, because and I've never cons- been involved in a, in a logistics consultancy uh, project like, like the ones that you deliver, but I have worked with other consultancies. Is To what extent 
do, 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 do both of these models work? I guess is the question. One model is the client just doesn't have is basically starting with a blank sheet of paper and it wants to make some decisions and needs some evidence to make those decisions and doesn't know yet what decision is going to be, or pretty much has an idea of what they want to achieve but they want someone to come in to either validate or challenge that. I mean, are both of those scenarios viable or is one better than the other? What would you advise people to be think where they should be at in the process before they involve um, someone like yourselves? Uh, well, of course, I would say involve as early as possible. <laughs> um, and, and, and constantly. And as late as possible as well, yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, which is another point we can come on to. But yeah, it's, it's a, you ask it. But anyway, um, yeah, so uh, yeah, they should involve different Generally, there are different iterations of decision making, aren't there? Because people, everyone, sort of starts off whether they do it on their own or with some help or whatever. Everyone sort of starts off by looking at all the possibilities and then narrowing it down to a certain extent. And even if they, even if the first round of that is sort of at an extremely high level, and you know, you can do that. You can do sort of rough cut decision making and then narrow it down to some options and then and then try and be a bit more uh, a bit more thorough. You know, and you can rule out. You can rule out things at a high level to start with before and, and then just sort of concentrate on, on a few things. I think if people have already decided what they want to do, or they think they have, and that kind of depends. I mean, if it's like, I mean, there are some great examples where people think they've stuff and then they haven't. I mean, I can think of some pretty good ones like where we've done, uh, I won't name them obviously, but where we've done uh, one particular one where the, the project was, the project was uh, sizing and sort of it. Sort of initial operational design and capital costing for extension to a warehouse, and actually inventory analysis are part of that. And in, and yeah, you know, in fact, what came out of it was really the project they needed to do was sort the inventory out, um, because otherwise they were going to spend two or three million pounds building a warehouse effectively to house obsolete stock. Um, so, you know, there we. The project took a strange turn, and uh, you know, perhaps we would have liked to have progressed into uh, project managing the warehouse build or something, but it wasn't to be because we told them not to build the warehouse. So, you know, there's that kind of thing going on. Um, yeah, I think we've we will always approach the short answer is I'll always sort of rambling on, but we'll always approach the thing in the same way, really. Um, whether you think you know what you want to do or not, they're not going to, we're still going to approach it in the same way. Um, and then and look at what the different options are, and then give you the power to for, for informed decision making. You may change your mind from what you think, what you thought you were going to do in the first place. So it doesn't really matter much difference in the end. I'm going to approach the whole thing anyway. I'm not going to do a rubber stamping exercise. We never do it. We just won't do it. And if we get the feeling that something's a rubber stamping exercise, we won't do it. Yeah, and I think and I think that's I think one of the things that comes through and you know, talking to you today, but also talking to you in your colleagues over the past few months is that um, bringing in that, that that outside pair of eyes making sure that we, whether you're using an outside consultant or not making sure you are challenging you are thinking about you are bringing different perspectives to the decision is absolutely critical to good decision making you know just plowing ahead based on you know what you think and within the the echo chamber that you're used to operating within can often yeah, exactly. be the route to problems um gavin thank you so much for your time today i really appreciate it some really interesting uh some really interesting content in there for people to reflect on. Um, 
we are uh, wrapping up our cold chain podcast for today there um thank you all for listening to us um listen back to all our other podcasts on our website or, or subscribe to our to our feed on your uh, your favorite podcast uh, podcast device uh, one thing that i'm very pleased to say is supply chain consulting group are our partner for our cold chain light cold chain live event taking place in sept at the end of september this year that event is still in the diary and we're still plowing ahead how you know really confident and keen for that event to take place obviously it will take place only if public health guidance allows us to do it but we're hopeful that we'll be on the upward curve out of this by then um it'd be a great time for everyone to come together to hear more from people like uh gavin and his colleagues um, uh, on all things future of the cold chain so uh, look out for the next edition of the Cold Chain Podcast coming to you very soon. Thank you very much.